Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is March the 20th, 2020. Uh, And boy, oh boy, um, I I think we find ourselves today in a very unique situation. Um, I don't think that I could ever remember a time when New York looked like this or when America was um, in in this kind of a situation. You know, I I lived through 9-11. And certainly that uh, presented all sorts of existential threats. But 9-11 was man-made. This may or may not be man-made, this virus threat coming out of China, because God only knows what the dictatorship, the totalitarian communist dictatorship of China is truly doing, not doing. Um, We've really lost our minds all because of greed, profit, Uh, cheap labor, and and I want to get into that today because there's so many issues that are being illuminated by the current crisis that we're facing. But first of all, I want to thank all of you for joining me, those of you who are familiar with my program. uh, You know my my routine. I'm a former senior special agent with the old INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Um, I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch. I was an inspector at the airport. I was an adjudicator. Uh, I really got to see immigration up close and in person during my 30-year career. And immigration is so critical to so many uh, issues. And and today, of course, we're seeing it again, although I know that the globalists would rather we not understand the role that immigration has to play. But I'm compelled to focus on it today, as did the president and a number of his officials, if you saw the president's news conference. Ever since 9-11, this has been my mission to get as many of our fellow Americans to understand immigration and border security objectively, with honesty, not with hyperbole, not with, you know, the the rhetoric, not about xenophobia. It's about protecting America and Americans. Ellis Island, I will keep on making the point, was, after all, a quarantine station. At the time of its completion, it was the largest hospital complex in the United States. The biggest concern our officials had back then was what we're witnessing today, epidemics and pandemics. The concern that if somebody came into the country with a disease for which there were no cures, and back then we did not have antibiotics, and as we're seeing, antibiotics uh, don't really work all that well with viruses either, although there will, I am sure, uh, be the development of drugs that will ultimately defeat this. I do believe that, and I don't think it's going to take that long, but every day that goes by, more people are being sickened and more people are dying around the world. This is a serious threat. And, and, you know, I'm of mixed feelings, and I've spoken to friends I have in the medical field, doctors and so forth. There there seems to be a little bit of a a divergence of opinion, which you would expect. Is this worse than the flu, not as bad as the flu? I don't think anybody really knows. And the unknown, especially where human lives are concerned, is disconcerting. No one knows what the death rate is. 
not enough people have been tested. Nobody could even determine whether or not this virus will morph into something worse or become more benign with time because viruses are always evolving. Uh, In fact, viruses are interesting. If you know anything about virology, they're sort of not quite alive, but alive. Um, They depend on the machinery of the host cell to reproduce and so forth. So a virus without the host to to subvert um, goes nowhere. That's why viruses seek to get themselves into a living organism where it could take over the machinery of that cell and then start to crank out more copies of itself and grow and prosper. It's a, it's a pure parasite, uh, and it's very dangerous. It's almost like a science fiction monster. Uh, it, it takes over the, uh, the, the victim and, and turns the, the machinery of the cells of its victim into a factory for its own use. Uh, it's about as fundamental as I can get with the explanation. But understand what makes it so deadly. And we have to be careful. But this should really serve as a reminder of something that my mother told me. Um, I would lost both of my parents to cancer uh, within a year of each other when I was back in college. It was a nightmare. Uh, still affects how I see things to this very day. Because I was going to school, caring for two dying parents, and working. Uh, difficult situation when I was 19 years old. But my mother said to me very wisely, and she had such wisdom, not much in the way of formal education because she came here ahead of the Holocaust as a 13-year-old girl, but she was a brilliant woman. God knows what she could have achieved or what my dad could have achieved had they had opportunities that they provided to me. Uh, They were always determined that my life would be better, that I would have the opportunities they did not have. And And they really did it, even though they died way too young. But my mother said to me, never forget just how fragile life is. We all hang by threads, and it does not take much for that thread to break. Very profound words. And you're seeing it. For all of our hubris, all of the egos, all of the posturing, at the end of the day, the coronavirus doesn't care if you're a homeless person or living in a mansion. It doesn't care if you are a billionaire or if you don't have two nickels to rub together. It is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. Viruses and pathogens are the great equalizer. Uh, It it ought to take some of these wackaloon egotists at least a couple of notches off that self-erected pedestals that they're happy to stand on. Uh, It's sobering. And when we think back to immigration, and Ellis Island, and the concerns that we had then are the same concerns we have now. And this is not xenophobia. Uh, you know, I, I find it remarkable that President Trump is being attacked. Not that he's being attacked. This seems to go on almost any day with a Y in it. But because he's calling it the China virus. <clears throat> and they're saying, well, that's a statement of xenophobia and bigotry. The virus originated in China. Now, we don't know if it came out of the so-called wet market and the virus jumped from another species. Some people think it may have been bats or if it actually came out of their bioweapons labs. We don't know. It's certainly highly suspicious that China did everything possible to keep experts in the field who could have helped them, could have helped them. They said, no, we don't want your help. Stay out of China. Why in the world did they take that position? You have to wonder if there isn't something that they're trying to conceal. 
Now, I, I don't know, and I don't like to speculate that as a former agent, I didn't deal in speculation. I dealt in facts. And communist regimes tend to be very, very secretive. They're certainly not open societies. I, I don't know how anybody could think communism is, is the solution to a problem. But as we're finding out with our economy, you can't have a form of socialism or elements of socialism that apply to an open society such as ours. For example, the government providing money to keep companies afloat. In pure capitalism, you wouldn't have that. And I know that there's going to be some folks on the right who are going to be wringing their hands and saying, oh, this is awful. We have to be pragmatic. And I'm not a very doctrine air kind of person. I believe you do what works. The Constitution is the bedrock of our country. That principle of government and freedom is the bedrock of our country, the way that our republic operates. But we have to recognize that if we simply shut down government and shut down the economy and walk away, it could plunge our country into another depression or worse. So we're, we're an untested land that we're standing on right now. And some people think this is an overreaction, but I'm not sure. If you look at the death count in Italy, <clears throat> they cannot keep up with the bodies. Hundreds of people per day are now dying because of the virus. There's a lot of unknowns. I want us to err on the side of safety in human life. I think all of us should be on that page. And, but when you look at China, we've educated their scientists. They have been pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into our universities. I assure you that they're not benign. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. There's no goodness in the heart of the communist regime of China. Okay, their idea of human rights is a North Korea light. You know, um, human rights and communism don't generally work well together. Think of what Stalin did and sent so many of his own citizens to Siberia. God knows how many tens of millions died because of Joseph Stalin's desire to keep his, his uh, boot on the neck of his own fellow countrymen. And, and so as far as I'm concerned, if you want to talk about an evil regime, it's the Chinese government. And they've now just declared themselves rulers for life, essentially. <clears throat> it was amazing, by the way, that Mike Bloomberg, when he was interviewed by PBS, couldn't bring himself to declare that, China is a dictatorship. It's absolutely a dictatorship. But Mike Bloomberg um, looks to China as a source of great amount of revenue. So he'll say whatever he has to say to preserve his working business relationship with that communist dictatorship. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, why? How in the world is a guy worth over $60 billion? I mean, try to wrap your head around that number, $60 billion dollars. Uh, ignore reality, deceive himself, and attempt to deceive others so that he can get his hands on even more money. Uh, you know, he can't spend the interest that he gets on his assets. Uh, you know, he's trying to bail out the Titanic, except what he's bailing out is the money flowing through his doors and windows because of what he has. And he's in his late 70s. I don't think he will ever have to fear not being able to pay his mortgage payment on any one of his 18 mansions or whatever that number is, or his private airliner. This is a level of greed that's pathological. 
what's pathological is the conduct of some of our senators. We have four senators, uh, Dianne Feinstein and three Republican senators, who may have engaged in insider training, to, uh, trading, finding out what they did about the coronavirus and then making decisions to liquidate some of their stocks. Uh, you know, it's only an accusation, but it's something that's disturbing. At some point, people have to put morality above profits, especially when you're talking about people who are extremely wealthy. It's easy to understand the guy that steals a loaf of bread in a container of milk. He's hungry. How hungry are you when you're worth tens of millions of dollars or even more than that? This stuff is crazy stuff. And what's remarkable is we have so many members of the Senate, uh, the Congress, who are so wealthy, you really have to wonder if they can even relate to most of their constituents. And that, for me, is a problem. That, for me, truly is a problem. When you're that wealthy, I mean, you could pay lip service to anything and anyone you want. But do they really understand what it's like for so many of their constituents who are no longer able to work and support themselves, where they don't know how they're going to pay for lunch tomorrow, let alone the mortgage at the end of the month? It's a very different world that they live in. You want to talk about a tale of two cities, this is a tale of two worlds. That if they're supposed to represent their constituents, I just question how can they? So that's not to say that if you're very wealthy, you can't represent them. But you just have to wonder if they are willing to really represent their constituents or if this is all about themselves. How do I use my position of privilege to acquire more wealth, more money, and more influence. I mean, at what time? Does, at what point does it stop? We are in the midst of a crisis. Make no mistake about it. And the potential exists that this could kill millions of people. We do not know. There's a lot of things that our scientists are trying to find out desperately, quickly, but there's no easy answers. Will this be worse than the flu? Will it be worse than the Spanish flu? And when the president called it the China flu, if you saw that news conference with that reporter, it actually made me laugh the way he said China. When he was asked uh, why he says chi the China virus is because it came from China. You know, and his tone of voice reminded me of my dad and the construction workers that he worked with who were straight shooters. You ask them a direct question, they'll give you a direct answer. You might not like it, but you knew exactly where they stood. I find it interesting now that when he starts his daily briefings for the American people, he doesn't even call it the coronavirus. He calls it the China virus. And I'm going to tell you what, I like that. I like that. This isn't about xenophobia. In 1972, I wound up in the hospital. I just started working at the airport, and many of us did. See, people don't realize the dangers that you're exposed to when you work in an international airport. Because we had people coming into our inspection booths from all over the world. And some of these people had no manners. Uh, we had people puke on us, uh, defecate on the floor. I, I kid you not. It was, it was a zoo at times. And there was a virus going around the world. It's believed it started in Pakistan, but it was ultimately first observed and, and most prevalent in London, England. It became known as the London flu, the London flu. Did that mean that we hated white people or Brits? No, the reality was the variant of the virus that afflicted Americans was called the London flu because that's where it was first observed, the London flu. I wound up in the hospital 
with over 105 fever. I was told that I was delirious. The doctors weren't sure that I would survive. I was that bad. I went from 102 fever to 105.5 or maybe even higher within two days. I wound up in the hospital for over two weeks. It was a devastating disease. I remember it knocked me on my tail. Absolutely devastated me. I was at the airport for about a year. My exposure to all these viral uh, infections, uh, many of us got sick. That's the whole point. That's why Ellis Island was a quarantine station. And even with modern medicine such as it was in 1972, it took them roughly two weeks to get me back on my feet, at least to the point where they were willing to discharge me back to my house. So we don't know how devastating this disease is. But there's nothing wrong with making reference to the fact that it emanated from China, especially when you realize how China lied to the world, lied to the U.N., and the U.N. went along with the lie. I found it interesting, by the way, that Joe Biden kept saying that he would go to the World Health Organization for testing equipment, and there are doctors and scientists who are saying that the World Health materials are substandard, that they don't work properly. And what's really disturbing for me, and this is something we should spend a little bit of time considering, is how China produces just about all of our antibiotics, and they are openly threatening to cut off the flow of antibiotics, telling us that that way we can fall into the abyss of the coronavirus, or words to that effect, our most favorite trade partner. George Herbert Walker's decision. I would love to be able to ask him, why and how did you do this? How in the world do you trust a communist government to give the most favored trade status, and they now have us by the short hairs. There is a shortage of antiviral meds. There's a shortage of antibiotics, and China produces over 90% of our antibiotics. None of the penicillin that we use in the United States is made in the United States any longer. China produces over half of our pain-killing medication. We have put ourselves at the mercy of a country that would like to see us disappear. If our people get sick and die, that's one way to get us to disappear, isn't it? This is a level of greed that I didn't think was possible. And I hope, whether through executive action or better through law, because I prefer laws to executive action, but I want this to happen quickly, <clears throat> that pharmaceutical companies will have to produce critical drugs inside the United States. I don't want them produced anywhere else in the world. I want them produced here. Then we don't have to worry about some other country saying, oh, we have sick people, so we can't send you any of the drugs you need. China has actually blocked American companies in China from sending various supplies to the United States to help us deal with this outbreak of a virus that emanated in their country. I want you to think about the enormity of that. China has blocked shipping, whether it's um, garments, face masks, whatever, and they're threatening to block the flow of antibiotics to the United States. They created the virus, or at least kept us from knowing about it for months, where we could have gotten the jump on it. So in a very real sense, they bear a strong responsibility for this pandemic that is now racing around the world with deadly results. And we need to go to China and say, we need those operating gowns. We need those face masks. We need those filters. We need those meds. And China is in the position to say, go to hell. 
And they have told us we can go to hell. These are self-inflicted wounds. And then you look at the way that we have been inviting Chinese students into the United States. You look at the way that China spies on the United States, hacks our computers, and we train their programmers. It's almost as though we have a death wish. This is an act of national suicide. There was just an article, CBS News reporting, and this was in, uh, I believe it was Florida. I could be mistaken. on. No, no, sorry, it was San Francisco, my era. But CBS News was reporting on how the, uh, there was a, here's the, uh, the headline, okay? This was March 17th, three days ago. Here's the headline, CBS News in San Francisco. Chinese tech spying case, former Hayward tour operator Edward Peng sentenced to four years in federal prison. And if you look at all the articles that were written, New York man, I'm sorry, San Francisco man, California resident, U.S. citizen, on and on. What they're not telling you until you get to the small print is that Mr. Peng is, in fact, a naturalized citizen. In fact, the CBS article that I just quoted, when you go way down into the nitty-gritty of the article, they finally tell you about his background. So they say this that investigators describe him that it's Peng as a sightseeing operator in the Bay Area for Chinese visitors and students. Public records list Peng as a president of the U.S. tour and travel in San Francisco, has no website. Peng entered the country in 2001 on a temporary business visa. He became a lawful permanent resident in 2006 following his marriage and was naturalized in September 2012. He has a background in mechanical engineering and is licensed in California as an acupuncturist. That makes perfect sense. Interesting background. But here is an individual who was guilty of spying. He was picking up um, secure um, computer cards and taking them physically to to, uh, China. Did that at least a half dozen times. Transmitting data that was stolen by a spy operating in the United States at the behest of China. And then he would take the data that was on a card, a computer card, and fly to China and hand it over to them, and he was paid tens of thousands of dollars each time he did it. Now, did he know he was going to get engaged in this kind of activity when he first came here? I really don't know. I don't know. I don't have access to the to the investigation, but it's a worthwhile question because very often we see that to be the case. But I will tell you that if you read through the Department of Justice press release, his handlers in China told him, Make good use of your U.S. citizenship. Make good use of your U.S. citizenship because he has a U.S. passport. When our guys raided the bin Laden compound in Pakistan, they found a certificate of a, a, an application for U.S. citizenship along with the 9-11 uh, report. Terrorists, drug dealers, they all understand that if they can get a U.S. passport, They're hitting a home run for themselves because we're handing over the keys to the kingdom. We're handing over the keys to the kingdom, and we have no idea who the hell we're giving citizenship to at this point. This goes back to the Clinton administration when they created a program known as Citizenship USA or CUSA. The commissioner of the INS back then, Doris Meisner, who hated my guts, and it was a mutual uh, lack of admiration, let's put it that way, thought that her job was to naturalize the world. 
I had a good friend at immigration headquarters who told me that one day Doris Meisner got on an elevator with one of her uh, most senior staffers and said to the staffer in front of all these other people, she could have cared less because she was the commissioner. And she said to her staffer, I just came from a meeting with the enforcement people. I don't know if it was the Border Patrol or, or immigration invest agents, you know, the position that I held. But she said, you know, when I walk out of a meeting with those enforcement people, I feel dirty. The commissioner of the Immigration Service claimed that she felt dirty for meeting with Border Patrol or immigration agents whose job is to enforce the law, and we worked for her. She was the person directing us, openly said to this person in the elevator, when I walk out of a meeting with enforcement personnel, I feel dirty. Unbelievable. And Doris Meisner implemented a program called CUSA. Her goal was to naturalize over a million new citizens. Normally, the process of naturalizing as aliens, giving them citizenship, and we, we do this for hundreds of thousands of immigrants every year, more than any, of the country, any other country on the planet. In fact, we naturalize more new citizens than the rest of the world combined. But she couldn't move the machinery fast enough and the law was very specific. You're supposed to do good moral character investigations. You're supposed to be very thorough. Uh, being a citizen of a country is a big deal. This is not insignificant. We make no distinctions in our country between naturalized citizens and citizens born in the United States. The only distinction being that you cannot hold the position of president or vice president. Other than that, there is no distinction. We've had chiefs of staff in the military. We've had senators and congressmen and members of the president's cabinet, Henry Kissinger, <clears throat> naturalized citizens. Very few countries do that. They normally make distinctions. We don't. For all the talk about we're anti-immigrant, these are lies that you're being told by, by fake news and by BS artists. And it's not just on the left. It's, it's the globalists. They want people to, uh, to think that borders are somehow immoral. Lots of luck on that theory. So she hired people off the street. Normally this would be done, the process would be done by lawyers who had worked for the government for decades. Suddenly they were hiring people off the street, and they were making decisions about whether or not to naturalize aliens. Forget being able to understand what the law was. Forget the fact we were supposed to do good moral character investigations. Just rush it through. And it was so disgusting, we wound up with tens of thousands of aliens becoming U.S. citizens who had criminal histories who not only shouldn't have been given citizenship, they should have been deported. Were any of these new hires crooks? God only knows. You know, they were flipping hamburgers one week, and the next week they were flipping naturalization certificates. Many of the government workers went to Internal Affairs and said there's something terrible here. For all the people that disparage civil servants, these people were very, very upset. And they said, we're being ordered to approve applications. District directors were being threatened with being fired, and they could be. Uh, and, and when you become SES, Senior Executive Service, you have absolutely no protections. You could be fired um, as easily as anybody in the private sector. There are no protections for those folks. And they were told, you will either naturalize your quota every week or we will fire you. They didn't say, get rid of the backlog. They told them, you better approve these applications. And the inspector general did an investigation, and uh, the GAO did an investigation. They said, well, we, we couldn't prove political motivation, but certainly there was a lot of malfeasance, misfeasance, and nonfeasance here. Thank you, Clinton. 
He also gave us the motor voter law, by the way. When you apply for a driver's license, you register to vote. Not too many opportunities for fraud there, right? This is what we've been dealing with. So we've naturalized terrorists. The Tsarnaev brothers, one of them was naturalized. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, was a naturalized citizen. Got his citizenship not even a year before he set off a car bomb in Times Square. If they had done a proper investigation, they probably would have known that he had affiliation with terrorist organizations. And the mainstream media and politicians called him a homegrown terrorist. Why? He was a U.S. citizen. Never mind that Faisal Shahzad came to the United States when he was 20 years old on a student visa. Because he had a certificate of citizenship, they called him homegrown. Bull. Bull. But this is the situation that we're in. So China is now threatening to pull this whole thing on us. And we don't even know what the hell to do. So we're scrambling trying to to get um, meds from somewhere else. We shouldn't be in this situation in the first place, folks. It would be one thing if we were dealing with an ally. China is not an ally. They are the enemy. They are an adversary. Listen to Gordon Chang. He will tell you clearly, without equivocation, they're America's enemy. So we're allowing our enemies to produce the drugs that we need to keep Americans alive. Is there anybody out there that can make sense of this? Because I have to tell you, this is a real head-scratcher for me. Real head scratcher. And I may have mentioned it last week, but February 12, 2020, the Department of Education issued a press release that said U.S. Department of Education launches investigation into foreign gifts reporting at Ivy League universities. Since July, the department has uncovered more than $6 billion, $6 billion in unreported foreign gifts from countries including Qatar, China, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Another article also added to that list of countries, Iran and Russia, $6 billion. That's above and beyond the money paid by their citizens in terms of tuition. What exactly were they getting for that money? That's a question that no one has answered. We know how China always wants to massage and manipulate information about their country. Do you not think? that they use this as a way of twisting the way that uh, issues concerning China are taught to the students on those campuses. In addition, uh, they, they decide who gets hired, who gets fired. They alter the curriculum. They've been buying up. The Chinese government has been buying up campuses in the United States, along with everything else. I've jokingly said that if we ever go to war with China, the last thing they would do is bomb America because they hate to destroy their own property. I wrote an article years ago, I called it the fencing of America. Not the fence on the border, because most people, that's all they think about, but in law enforcement, the fence is a person who sells stolen property. Sells stolen property. Think about how many politicians have their fingers and how many pies facilitating all kinds of skullduggery. And here's how the article begins. This is not an article. This is the press, the press release from the Department of Education. Washington, the U.S. Department of Education announced today it is launching an investigation into both Harvard and Yale universities after it appears both Ivy League higher education institutions potentially failed to report hundreds of millions of dollars in foreign gifts and contracts in recent weeks. 
the department discovered Yale University may have failed to report at least $375 million in foreign gifts and contracts, choosing not to report any gifts and contracts over the last four years. They decided, but they don't have that right. That's like saying you decided to not report your earnings to the IRS. That's how serious this is, okay? The department is also concerned Harvard University may lack appropriate institutional controls over foreign money and has failed to report fully all foreign gifts and contracts as required by law. This comes after Dr. Charles Lieber, chair of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology department, was indicted for lying about his involvement with the Chinese government's Thousand Talents Plan and admitting that Harvard lacks the adequate institutional controls for effective oversight and tracking of very large donations. Quote, this is about transparency, said U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. If, again, quoting, if colleges and universities are accepting foreign money and gifts, their students, donors, and taxpayers deserve to know how much and from whom. Moreover, it's what the law requires. Unfortunately, the more we dig, the more we find that too many are underreporting or not reporting at all. We will continue to hold colleges and universities accountable and work with them to ensure their reporting is full, accurate, and transparent as required by law. <clears throat> Section 117 of the Higher Education Act requires American Title IV eligible colleges and universities to report gifts from and contracts with any foreign source that exceeds $250,000 in value and to disclose any foreign ownership or control twice each year. The Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations described foreign spending on U.S. schools as, quote, a black hole because colleges and universities routinely fail to comply with the law and report foreign money. And reported foreign money can come with strings that might compromise academic freedom, you think? And then she goes on and says this. The department's records since approximately 1990 show that the U.S. universities and colleges have reported reported donations from Qatar, China, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates in excess of $6.6 billion, but this sum may be significantly underestimated. According to investigations by Congress, the GAO, and the department, colleges and universities significantly underreport their foreign gifts and contracts. The 2019 Senate report found the following. Nearly 70% of U.S. schools that received more than $250,000 from Hanban, China, failed to properly report that information to the Department of Education. From January 2012 to June 2018, 15 schools reported receiving $15,472,725 directly from Hanban, a propaganda arm of the Chinese government. To get a more comprehensive understanding of Hanban spending in the United States, the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations requested financial records from 100 U.S. schools and found that Hanban, again, this is a propaganda arm of the Chinese government, found that Hanban directly contributed $113,428,524, I'm sorry, let me do that again, forgive me, $113,428,509 to U.S. schools more than seven times the amount that the U.S. schools actually reported. And they go on talking about all the money. Think about that. Ten schools, including Cornell University, Yale University, the University of Colorado at Boulder, the University of Texas, 
MD Anderson Cancer Center, MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the University of Chicago, the University of Pennsylvania, Boston University, Texas A&M University, and Carnegie Mellon University reported approximately $3.6 billion in previously unreported foreign gifts. Think about that. Think about that. So we have China um, floating this lie that this virus, the coronavirus, somehow was brought to China by members of the U.S. military to infect China. It's a bald-faced lie, and it almost feels as though it is a prelude to tougher measures that China is now going to implement. And meanwhile, we need them for our antibiotics. We need them for our painkillers. We need them for surgical masks. We need them for all sorts of equipment that we use in hospitals to save lives. If this doesn't alarm you, you have a flatline EEG. You have to be brain dead. This is what corporate greed has done to America. This is what greed by academics who call themselves liberals has done to America. Do you ever wonder why there's so much... um, Discourse on college campuses, anti-American discourse in my judgment, well, maybe the Chinese are getting exactly what they're paying for. I believe that they're on those university campuses not only to learn so they can build their military and hack our computers, but to stir up trouble on American campuses across the country because they are determined to rule the world within the next couple of decades. And for them to now be saying that the United States created the coronavirus and we brought it to China, where is that trajectory leading us, folks? Not to a good place. And it took President Trump demonstrating real solid American leadership to call them out. And if you wonder why he's getting pushback, or up until very recently he was getting pushback from both sides of the aisle, you've got to wonder whose pockets have been getting lined on both sides of the aisle. Look, I don't always agree with Donald Trump, but the guy has chutzpah. He has balls. And he stood up and said, enough of this. It's enough. We're endangering our country because China is an adversary. And This should be crystal clear to everybody right now. This should be crystal clear to everybody right now. China cannot be trusted, and they certainly should not and cannot be trusted to be involved with the production of life-saving meds that we desperately need. So I, I just hope that that gets people thinking. By the way, last week, um, or, or actually it was two weeks ago, I was interviewed um, by one new, um, let me get this, the name straight here. Um, it was one news now interviewed me, one of their reporters, James Phelps. Uh, you could imagine I was teasing him about good morning, Mr. Phelps for mission impossible. Very good journalist. He interviewed me as the second interview I've given for him. And this was on the 17th of March. And the headline reads, New York more eager to protect Canadians than Americans, says experts. Well, I was the expert, says expert. I was the expert they were quoting. Believe it or not, while 
New York State will not provide motor vehicle information to the Border Patrol, to ICE, to Customs and Border Protection. They are providing that very same information to Canadian border officials. I, I mean, I just want you to stop and think about that one. New York State will not provide any information based in DMV computers to immigration law enforcement for the federal government. Cuomo has called immigration agents thugs. There is nothing he will ever say or do that will erase that. He has gotten agents injured. He's damaging our ability to enforce the laws and protect America and Americans. And that's what our immigration laws are about. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it enumerates the categories of aliens to be excluded from the United States. It's crystal clear. There's not a word in there about race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, mental illness, criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, human traffickers, drug smugglers, aliens who have become a public charge, or aliens who, if they worked, would displace American workers. Very simple. So Cuomo calls those agents who are out there trying to protect us thugs, thugs, endangering their safety and making it impossible for them to do their jobs Sanctuary cities exacerbate the problem, and on top of everything else, he turns around, he, Cuomo, and the New York State Legislature, and block immigration law enforcement from having access to motor vehicle information. So when a car comes across the border, normally the inspector, the first thing he does is run the license plate. Is it a stolen car? Who owns the vehicle? Where? What's the address? If that Customs and Border Protection Inspector, the job I did for the first four years of my career, punches in that license plate into the motor vehicle database. It comes back classified, restricted, whatever. Have a nice day. Screw you. Whatever it is that comes up, they can't find out anything. It's zero. It's as though it's a make-believe license plate. You don't know who's supposed to own the car. You don't know what the address. You know nothing about the person or the vehicle. If you try to make sure that the driver's license the person is handing you is legitimate, so you're punching the name and the license number, everything comes up. If, if you try to do that and you're with immigration law enforcement or the Border Patrol, it comes up, you can't have it. Have a nice day. But the Canadians can run the information. The foreign government, because they know that the Canadians need to protect their own citizens by running license plate information. So New York State said, oh, absolutely, we have to help our Canadian friends because they have to protect Canada. I kid you not. I didn't know this was happening until I got a phone call from Jim Phelps over at One News Now. He said, are you aware of this? I almost fell out of my chair. I said, I have nothing but disgust and anger towards Governor Cuomo, but this is really now the cherry on the cake. So when Canadians said to Cuomo, we need the information, he said, of course you do. You have to protect your country. We will help you protect your country. The hell with America, though. Think about that. That doesn't boil, boil your blood. Once again, folks, check for any flatline EEG. Now, um, I, I want to pull something else up for you. Back in 2013, I testified for, uh, for um, Chuck Grassley. He called me to testify at a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on where we were going with immigration law enforcement for the 21st century. How do we make immigration law enforcement effective and meet the needs of America and Americans? So I was the only person on this four witness panel who had real world immigration law enforcement background. There were many questions that were asked about immigration law enforcement matters. 
But guess who was not asked a single question? U.S. truly. I provided a prepared statement, and basically that was it. After the hearing, I walked up to Chris Coons because he was the acting chairman because the Democrats controlled the Senate back then, and when you're in control, you're really in control. Um, Chuck Grassley couldn't even make the hearing because he had to be in two other hearings. It was the usual madness in Washington. And Chris Coons, senator from Pennsylvania, was chairing the hearing. So I walked up to him after the hearing, and I said, Senator Coons, I don't understand why you were asking questions about immigration law enforcement but didn't see fit to ask me the questions, because that's what I did for 30 years. Gee whiz, I'm sorry, Mr. Cutler, too bad the hearing's over. I said, you knew my background when you introduced me. You read my bio. Yes, I did. I have no answer for you. I said, well, I would like to provide you with a statement that you could put into the record where I will address the issues that I would have been happy to address had you asked me about them during the hearing. He said, fine, go ahead and do that. So I did. And then Senator Grassley, and this is not unusual, if you're not familiar with hearings, very often members of Congress, members of the Senate, will send witnesses questions after the hearing as a follow-up, and then you have an opportunity Uh, If I remember correctly, you get 10 days. They gave me an extension because what I gave them was very voluminous. I think I submitted a total of close to 40 pages, four zero pages. So it's part of the congressional record, part of the Senate record. Uh, But how many Americans actually read the congressional record? I mean, it's accessible to you. It's open source as long as it's not a classified hearing. But you know how these hearings go. If it doesn't get said at the hearing, it's probably going to not be out there. It's bad enough that stuff that's said at hearings doesn't get out there. Like when um, we had hearings about comprehensive immigration reform, and Alan Greenspan said that the the advantage to flooding America with H-1B visas is to reduce wage inequality by making American high-tech workers compete with farm workers to get rid of their wage premium, calling them the privileged elite. The media refused to report on that. So that's another problem that we could get into. But here I was at a hearing, and it was infuriating. Now, why am I telling you about a hearing that was held in 2013? Well, you may not know this, folks, but the Democrats were planning to propose legislation that would block the president from having the right under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, small f in parenthesis, to prevent the entry of aliens whose presence would be detrimental to the interest of the United States, which is what the law says. It's about three sentences, and it gives total discretionary authority to the President of the United States to prevent the entry of any alien or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants for as long a period of time as the President deems necessary if he determines that their presence would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. That's about as low a bar as I could imagine, detrimental to the interests. Now, that law has been on the books for decades. It was used by Jimmy Carter when the Iranians overran the embassy in in the late 1970s. And he said, okay, we're not going to admit Iranians into the United States because they might be here to cause a problem for us. And then he even ordered agents out. I was one of them. Drop all your work. You're going to track every Iranian you can find and figure out who they are, where they are, and if they're doing anything dangerous to the United States. Because if they are, we're going to kick them out of the United States. Back then, it was very easy. You put handcuffs on someone, you put them on an airplane, and you wave goodbye. They went before a judge, and if the president said, we want these people out of the United States, they had no right to stay here because it's like a guest at your house. 
If you invite someone to a party at your house and the guy starts to misbehave, you call the police. The police come and they take him away for disorderly conduct. Very simple. Aliens don't have an inherent right to enter the United States. And, in fact, President Trump has now expanded the, uh, the list of aliens who can't come in, and he's telling Americans don't travel overseas because of the concern that the movement of the virus would be expedited. And, and by the way, the goal is not to prevent everyone from catching it because – Eventually, many people will contract this terrible disease. Hopefully, many will not be very sickened by it. Older people seem to be more at risk than younger people. But it's to slow down the progression of the disease so that we don't wind up with too many people flooding into hospitals where we can't deal with it, which is what's happening in Italy right now. They just don't have the capacity, and we would not have the capacity. So we're trying to slow it down so that we can manage what we're dealing with. The president, a really great move, is moving one of the Navy hospital ships that has, I believe, 2,000 beds and and a bunch of operating rooms and so forth. They're going to be mooring that ship right off uh, the piers here in New York City to help us with the huge number of people that are contracting the disease every day. The numbers continue to to skyrocket. So that's what, what the effort is about. But nevertheless, Congress the Democrats had prepared something known as the No Ban Act. And and this is really crazy because they used an acronym that makes no sense. Let me read the acronym to you and you'll realize to make up a cutesy title, the No Ban Act. And by the way, it's not a travel ban. It was an entry restriction. No ban, the travel ban. You ready? National Origin-Based Anti-Discrimination for Non-Immigrants Act. They needed the N. So that because that end is the the end and ban no ban act national origin based anti discrimination for non immigrants act so I guess if you're an immigrant you have a green card it's okay to discriminate against you I mean it makes no sense <clears throat> but nothing that these idiots are doing these people who really must be self hating Americans self loathing Americans. This is about protecting innocent lives, and we're seeing the president using that section of law right now. They were going to try to put a bill through. Now, we all know the president wasn't going to sign it into law, but it was just another way of sticking it to him, another way of insulting him in public, another way of going on offensive. And they are offensive. Forget that they're going on offensive. They are offensive to me, personally offensive. And I found out about it because the Republican leadership said this is not the time to drop that bill on the floor of the House. Now, why would they even do it? As I said, it's just let's attack, 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 attack. And if you're attacking Trump on these issues, folks, you're attacking Americans. Because the president has never done this lightly. But now look at the lie on Chris Coons' website. This is where I'm getting this from. President Trump's Muslim ban was based on animus, and Congress should not allow this discriminatory abuse of executive authority to continue. He goes on and says, when President Trump campaigned for the presidency, he called for, quote, a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States, unquote. After one week in office, President Trump signed an executive order banning foreign nationals from seven predominantly Muslim countries from entering the United States, producing mass bipartisan outcry. And then they go into the history of the the court decisions. So let's be clear. The president's ban was not based on religion. Not based on religion. And they always point out that these were seven Muslim-majority countries. And they are. No argument. 
But Indonesia is a Muslim-majority country, the largest population of any Muslim-majority country on the planet. Indonesia is not on the list. In fact, the population of Indonesia is so large that it's roughly equal to the population of all of the seven countries on President Trump's initial, his initial list. So if President Trump was trying to keep Muslims out of the United States, you would have that Indonesia would have been on the list, along with Pakistan and along with India. Now, why Pakistan and India? Because they are the second and third most populous Indian-majority countries. They weren't on the list. So really, was the president trying to keep Muslims out of the United States? Absolutely not. In fact, the title of his executive order was protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States, and the point was crystal clear. In fact, it was interesting. The wording was executive order borrowed heavily from a couple of the articles that I'd written because I had spoken to members of his staff when he was first elected. The goal was to prevent the entry of aliens into the United States who could not be properly vetted. So he selected seven countries that have known affiliations with terrorist organizations and who, for one reason or another, are not able to or not willing to help us to properly screen people carrying passports from those countries had nothing to do with animus except the animus towards terrorists and people who would kill innocent victims but look at the lies the lies keep on coming muslim ban based on animus no it was based on a need to protect america and americans from future terrorist attacks and we've had terrorist attacks again and again and again and others that were averted some by dumb luck, and some because of the great work of the men and women in law enforcement and our intelligence agencies. But certainly no one has declared the all clear. It hasn't sounded. We're still very much concerned. Now, I have to talk about hypocrisy. New Jersey is a sanctuary state. New Jersey is giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. New Jersey gives in-state tuition to illegal aliens. New Jersey is now screening people for the coronavirus and Governor Phil Murphy was on the radio this morning telling people to make certain that if they're sick, to go to their doctor, and they can be screened. But you better sit down for this one, folks. Fasten your seatbelt. Because if you want to go to one of those facilities in the great state of New Jersey, you must, absolutely must, be a resident of the state of New Jersey and must have documentation to prove that you are currently not previously but currently a lawful resident of the state of new jersey illegal aliens can be a lawful resident or could be a, a resident of the state of new jersey if they have a new york i'm uh, sorry new jersey driver's license they can get medical treatment but folks if you're not from new jersey i don't care how sick you are do not show up because if you cannot prove through documentation that you currently reside in the state of New Jersey, you folks will be turned away. Takes your breath away. Now, why is he doing it? Because New Jersey has limited resources, and he wants to make certain that the residents of the state of New Jersey are taken care of. You know what? That's rational. But he doesn't care if you're here illegally, only if you live in the state of New Jersey. So as an American citizen, and I'm from New York, just across the river, if I go to one of those centers and they look at my New York driver's license, they're going to say to me, Mr. Cutler, get out of here. 
And I guess if I refuse to leave, they'll arrest me. And you have to have documentation. You can't be undocumented. And the president was right. He's also working with the Canadian government to restrict trans-border travel, limiting it only to those who must travel, essential travel. Other than that, you will not be allowed to go to Canada. Canadians will not be allowed to come to the United States. Same thing with Mexico. Why? We have limited medical resources. The risk that we have is if, let's say, in Mexico they run out of beds, they head for the United States. Once they're in the United States, you can't turn people away from the emergency room. You can't turn people away from the emergency room. So you could wind up with illegal aliens using up whatever antiviral drugs we have that are manufactured in China. Let's put that back out there again. And the goal has to be to protect Americans. And that was what the president said today. And some of the folks that participated in his briefing at the White House made the same point. We want to be careful that we don't have illegal immigration forcing lots of people together in confined spaces, which will threaten the lives of other illegal aliens because there's just no place to put them where they're six feet apart. And this will also potentially get the people who work for ICE and CBP sick. This is a health crisis. And, you know, we've always worried about biological weapons being used against America by terrorists or enemy states. This is almost what this feels like. This is a drill. And we flunked. We don't have the resources. That's why they've got everybody sitting home. That's why the economy's in the tank, because we don't have enough hospitals. We don't have enough um, respirators. We don't have enough of everything that we need. And we're running short on meds because China doesn't want us to have the meds. They're using it for their own people. And I really think they'd love to see, you know, problems in the United States because the more they could stir the pot, the happier they are because they hate our guts. All that China sees in us is money and the opportunity to overwhelm us and to spy on us, to steal our technology and ultimately dominate us. So the country that wants to dominate us and replace us on the world stage is the country that we rely on for our medication. If you want to talk about stupid, this is as stupid and greedy as it gets. And I believe it was the Karl Marx who said the capitalists will sell you the rope with which you will hang them. Folks, we are having a fire sale on rope. When Election Day comes, you need to remember which politicians have taken what position on immigration because it is such a critical issue. We've got to use our heads. There's nothing wrong with a country making its own citizens its priority. Families care for their own children before they give money to charity. Countries should treat their own citizens with the same level of consideration. I thank you for spending this hour with me. I hope you folks all stay safe out there. And I look forward to having you join me again uh, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Please go to Front Page Magazine and check out my latest article, Because of the Coronavirus, Borders Suddenly Matter. Uh, By the way, I make the point in the article that New York has even established internal borders. Think about uh, New Rochelle and so forth. So I hope you find that article interesting. Go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Stay well, and please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. See you next week. Good night. Have a good weekend.